Good evening. So good to see you all. How you doing? Yeah. Do you have traffic? Yeah, always traffic, always traffic. Some kids said yes. <laughs> this will be fun. By the way, the children are here with us. Don't worry about it. Okay, they're going to make a little noise. I'll just talk louder, if that's possible. So, tonight, uh, by way of tradition, we have gathered together for the purpose of reflecting on and meditating upon uh, a particular death. A death that took place almost 2,000 years ago on a Friday. That is the death of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as most, or maybe all of you know, Christians commonly refer to this day as Good Friday. And I know I've said this before, but, but why? Why do, we, why do we refer to it as Good Friday? Well, just for clarity, the Good and Good Friday has nothing to do with the cruelty, torture, and great injustice of Jesus' death. Righteous Jesus, the divine, the almighty and beloved Son of God, the perfect and incomparable God-man, certainly did not deserve death. Certainly not crucifixion. Rather, he rightly deserved to be worshipped by his creatures. Yet, he was treated like the worst of criminals. Mocked. Brutally beaten. Stripped of his clothes. Clothes. And nailed to a wooden cross where he hung and suffered and died. And just think about this, beloved. It was no accident. All of that occurred, the scriptures tell us, according to God's predetermined plan. So the good in Good Friday does not refer at all to the evil, the great evil that was done on that day when the created rejected and murdered their creator. But rather, it refers to the extraordinary, <laughs> remarkable, an incredible good that was accomplished on behalf of sinful humanity on that very dark day. One might say it this way, it is the saving and redeeming work of Jesus Christ that we've been singing about, that Eric read about, 
that occurred on that Friday that gives us good reason to call it Good Friday. So this evening, what I want to do with, with the time that we have is, is to focus on that wonderful saving work of Christ. Is that okay? I'd like to do that with you. Tonight, we opened with this song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I love that song. My grandson apparently loves it too. He said, good song, Daddy. Yes, it's a good song. It opens with how deep the Father's love, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. It goes on to say, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. What's it? What was the it that was accomplished that the writer is referring to? What is the it that was finished there on the cross when Jesus, where Jesus died and gave up his life? What was finished? Beloved, it was the glorious work of our salvation. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus, it says, had received the sour wine, there he is on the cross, he said, he said, it is finished. That's where the writer gets that phrase from, of that song. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He died. Our salvation was secured there on the cross. It is finished. It's a word in the Greek, tetelestai, paid in full. The full price was paid there at the cross for the sinner's redemption. All that was necessary to bring us in a right and proper position with God, to bring us to heaven, to redeem us, was dealt with right there at the cross, paid in full by our Lord and Savior. In that dark death, Good Friday. And recently in our, our weekly Bible study, and maybe you've been participating, maybe not, but we've been doing this weekly Bible study called Behold Your, uh, Your God. Yeah? Some of you are aware of that? And in that study, we have recently considered all the wonders of the salvation that, that Christ secured for us by, by looking at all the many words that the Bible uses to describe it, that salvation. Or as uh, the study says, the many facets of the gospel jewel. It's like a diamond with all of its cuts, and as you turn it, they each have their own shine and glory and beauty, and there are many facets to this wonderful thing that we call salvation. And the book goes on to say, the study goes on to say that when people talk about someone becoming a Christian in terms like getting saved or, or being forgiven or being born again, they're, they're biblical terms. But if those concepts are all we know, of the extensive and multifaceted work of God in the gospel, then we're missing something. 
A simple communicating of the gospel is desirable, but neglecting to communicate the complete gospel actually robs God of the glory that he is due. So, with the short time that we have this evening, what we're going to do is simply look at some, and you may have done it already in your study, but we're going to do it again. We're going to look at some of those gospel terms. Not all of them. Not all of them. Five of them. And really what they reflect is, is that, that work, all that work that Christ accomplished on the cross. It reflects all that is included in that beautiful and wonderful statement that Jesus made. It is finished. So you're ready to look at those with me? We're going to begin with a word that we also sing about, justification. Justification. So let me give you the definition, and I'm using the definition that we found in our study, and we're just going to work through these. And these are what we're going to reflect on and meditate on tonight as we consider what makes this Friday so good as we memorialize the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Justification, beloved, is a legal action, biblically speaking, by which God declares the believer to be freed from his guilt and made right before God's law. That's glorious, beloved. Justification alters the believer's legal position before God, changing it from guilty to what? Innocent. Justification is the outcome of the atonement. What is the atonement? Well, that's the removing of the guilt of our sin, which occurred at the cross through Jesus' substitutionary death on that cross when he carried our guilt and bore the penalty for it. Justification is the outcome of the atonement and the imputation of Jesus' righteousness to the believer. This word can be a little tricky. There's two parts to justification. There's a, a negative and a positive to be declared right before God, we must have all of our guilt wiped away. All of our sin forgiven. And that is achieved through the work of Jesus Christ on that cross through the process of atonement. Him taking upon himself our guilt. Doing that, then the positive, the imputation of Christ's righteousness it was a righteous one that hung on that cross, perfectly righteous. And so God looks to that forgiven, cleansed, innocent sinner and then imputes to him, credits to his account, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the one who just laid down his life for them, that they might be clean and now be able to receive that said righteousness. One writer puts it this way, in justification, God legally declared that we are no longer deemed guilty under the divine law, but are forgiven and counted righteous in God's sight. Impossible without the cross. Impossible without the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior and impossible without a perfect and righteous Savior. 
Consider this, beloved. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. No human being will be made right with God or declared right with God or seen as right with God. No human being by the works of the law will be justified in his sight. No one can come before him through the works of the law and be found right with him. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law reveals just how sinful we are. And yet consider this. I don't know all, I don't think I know all of you here. So there might be some visitors here and I'm glad you're here. But even those of you that are here, maybe you're confused. Maybe, maybe you still think that you are going to make yourself right before God through the keeping of his law. Impossible. According to the scriptures, according to your own knowledge, really, come on. Impossible. You'd have to keep it perfectly. Who's ever done that? Oh, yeah, one. The one who hung on the cross. Rather, Romans 3.23 says, This is how a sinner is justified, not by the keeping of the law. He says, the Apostle Paul, Therefore all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are, what's it say? Justified. Declared right before God by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's another good word, redemption. We'll get to that in a moment. It's through his work on the cross. It's through his saving work. It's through his perfect life. Another important verse concerning these things is 2 Corinthians 5.21. One I'm sure most of you know, but don't ever forget it. Meditate on it for our sake. He, God, made him, Christ, the Son of God, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we sinners might become the righteousness of God. Beloved, this is, this is commonly referred to as the great exchange, a most unbelievable exchange. The believer's guilt, the believer's sin, placed upon the account of Jesus when he was crucified, and Christ's righteousness placed on the account of the believer. When he trusts in him. Good Friday. Good Friday. No other way to be made right before God. No other way except Christ. And Christ provided and secured that way. Through his death. Through his sacrificial death. Good Friday. You and I would be lost, beloved, if it were not for Good Friday. We'd be damned. Maybe you shouldn't have said that word with all the children in here. I just realized that. Hopefully they'll forget that one. But it is a proper word. Second word that helps us understand the fullness of, of salvation, the fullness of what it meant when he said, it is finished, propitiation. I just like saying that word. But more importantly, 
the definition of that word is, is even better than the way, certainly much better than the way the word sounds or is fun to say. Propitiation occurs when God's righteous wrath is appeased or turned aside by the death of his son on the cross. What holy wrath? His holy wrath against sin. God is not okay with sin. He is absolutely opposed to it. He loathes it. He hates it. His anger against it is just and right. So, what are we going to do? Propitiation. God's wrath against his people was fully satisfied through the sacrificial, sin-bearing, substitutionary death of his beloved, righteous son, Jesus Christ. The scriptures say this in 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. One of the best quotes I've ever heard on propitiation concerning that beautiful word and all that it means, one of the best quotes I've ever heard is this one. I've given it to you before. I just want to give it to you again. It goes like this. God's own great love propitiated his own holy wrath through the gift of his own dear son who took our place, bore our sin, and died our death. Thus, God himself gave himself to save us from himself. That's amazing. Good Friday. Good Friday. Another one. Reconciliation. Definition. These are all words used in the scriptures to describe our great salvation, beloved. Reconciliation is the restoration of the relationship between God and man. That relationship broken by sin. It includes a change in man's attitude toward God. Man is brought from being at enmity with God to friendship with God. God's righteous anger is turned aside by the cross of Jesus, thereby removing the offense of sin and making it possible for God to bring man into friendship with him once more. As it was in the garden before sin entered into the world, again it is through reconciliation, through salvation, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The book of Romans 5.10 says this, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How, beloved? Through our good effort, through our law-keeping, through some religious ritual, how? By the death of his son. It is only by the death of his son. And it is through that death that reconciliation is made for sinners who believe. Good Friday! 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, 
who through who? Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, telling others about how to be reconciled. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world of sinners to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Praise the Lord! But that was because of Christ and the work that he did. That is the only way God could not count our trespasses against us. It's because they were taken care of through the work of Christ and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Good Friday. Good Friday. Number four, redemption. Redemption is purchasing someone's freedom. The sinner is freed from his enslavement to sin and from the curse of God's law by Jesus' death on the cross. The curse of God's law? Yes, the curse of God's law. Galatians 3.10 says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Have you known anybody who's kept God's law perfectly? Have you known anybody? There's only one. I've already said it. There's only one. But in your day and age, have you known anybody? Because of that, they're under a curse, the curse of the law. For they have failed to keep that law perfectly. But redemption sets us free. From the curse of God's law. For all of our failures have been forgiven in Christ, and Christ kept that law perfectly, and his obedience and righteousness is imputed or credited to our account when we believe and put our faith and trust in him. Ephesians 1 7 says, In him we have redemption through our law keeping. Through our church attendance, through how often we pray, through his what, beloved? Blood. And blood refers to his, it's a reference to his death, his death on the cross. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Thank God for grace. And beloved, I said, I said as well when we define the the word redemption, in redemption, it's freedom. It's freedom from the tyranny of sin, the penalty of sin, the enslavement of sin. Christ, on that cross, when he said it is finished, he purchased for us freedom from sin. That means it's mastery and it's control that we may no longer be bound to it, but now walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is good news. Because sin ruins, sin kills, sin destroys, sin maims. You know this. How messed up is our world? How messed up are our families? Because of sin, but Christ has set us free. You see that in Titus 2.11. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from what? All lawlessness. To set us free from that. That bondage, that control, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Zealous to glorify the Lord. <laughs> Praise be to God. Good Friday? Good Friday. Good is not a good enough word. When you come to think about it, glorious Friday. We don't, have, we don't even have the word. One incredible Friday. And one, finally, one of my favorite terms that the Bible uses to describe our great salvation, that salvation that was purchased by Christ on that Friday, on that cross. I love this word. Adoption. Adoption describes the new relationship the believer has to God by using a family-related term. God, by the new birth and justification, makes the believer his adopted child. God becomes his father and Jesus his brother. The believer enters into all the responsibilities and joys of being in God's family. And then there was this book I was telling you guys about a few Sundays ago, big white one, Biblical Doctrine, that I'm still in love with. And uh, I don't sleep with it because it's hard and it would hurt my head, but it is a beautiful, wonderful work. It takes you through the, all the doctrines of Scripture. But listen to this quote I found in it concerning our adoption and yeah, as part of our salvation. They say there, the concept of adoption is familiar to us because it remains common in today's world. And it is a rare case when the story of any particular adoption fails to warm the heart. Well, the New Testament builds on the blessing of human adoption by using it as an analogy to describe God's fatherly love for us. We were spiritual orphans under the cruel oppression of sin and Satan. By nature, we were children of wrath, that's what the scriptures teach, sons of disobedience, and even children of the devil himself. Our only home was this sin-cursed world that is fast passing away. Our only guardian was the avowed enemy of our souls, Satan. Our only future was the terrifying expectation of hell's judgment. The eternal Son of God himself traveled the infinite distance between heaven and earth, united the nature of God and the nature of man in his own person, and was forsaken by his father there on the cross 
so that we might be welcomed as sons. At great cost to himself, God took every legal measure to rescue us from sin and make us part of his family. As planned in eternity past, the Son purchased believers on Calvary, and they finally lay hold of the blessing of adoption at the time of conversion. In adoption, God legally places regenerated and justified sinners into his family so that they become sons and daughters of God and thus enjoy all the rights and privileges of one who is a member of God's eternal family. Amen. We could spend a week talking about the rights and privileges of one who is a member of God's eternal family. It is glorious indeed, beloved. Christ owns it all. And we're his brothers and sisters. And share, because of the salvation, in that inheritance. And we deserve not a bit of it. We were orphans. But sought out by God and adopted into his family through the work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Good Friday. Good Friday. Beloved, we are going to partake in communion here in a moment. It is for those who are part of God's family. I, I wonder if you're here tonight, maybe you are not part of God's family. You have not yet repented and turned to Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in him. You have not yet done that, so you are not adopted yet into that family. I pray that you would change that tonight. That you would remain no longer outside of that family, but believe the things that you have heard, that you are in need of salvation. Because you are a sinner. And that salvation has been fully and completely provided for you. But you must turn to him in faith and believe and trust and cry out to him to save you and confess your need for the Savior. If you'll do that, then you too will, by God's grace and by His Spirit, be made part of that wonderful and great family of God. So if you're not part of that family, I pray that you would become part of that family, that you would, you would not leave here before doing that. But this meal right now, in fact, I pray you do it right now, right where you are. Cry out to God in your heart. Cry out to Him. Cry out to be saved. But if you're not part of the family, this meal's not for you, so don't partake of it. 
This meal is for the family of God. It celebrates all the things we just spoke of. In the first Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread being a representation of his body, the cup, the juice being a representation of his blood, his life spilled, his body given up and his blood spilled there on the cross to redeem sinners. And by memorializing and partaking in this meal, we are celebrating that reality in our own lives that he has bought us and purchased us and saved us and we are proclaiming and celebrating and rejoicing in that death. Now death is something that people generally don't talk about or think about, but Jesus' death is something we should regularly think about and talk about because his death was like no other. It accomplished so much for all those who ever have or whoever will put their trust in him and him alone. Justification, propitiation, reconciliation, redemption, adoption. Such rich words and words that clearly help us understand why it is appropriate and very right to refer to this Friday as Good Friday. I'm going to pray for the offering. The men are going to come down in a moment. They're going to pass out the elements, the little piece of cracker and the juice as we memorialize Christ's death here together as a family now. I ask that you, that you only partake if you are part of that family and that you hold your elements until the very end, and at the very end we will partake together. But first, let me pray for our communion meal. Father in heaven, we come before you now. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. Our biggest problem, there's so many problems in the world, but our biggest problem sin. It ruins us, and more importantly, it sentences us to eternal death. It separates us from you, God. But God, you did not leave us in our mess. You did not turn your back away from us, but you, according to your, your, your wisdom and, and your love and all of your grace and your mercy and your justice, you devised a plan, an incredible plan. And you sent your son. You sent your son who willingly came. setting aside the glories of heaven to come here, take on flesh, 
that he might live the perfect life and die the perfect death in our place in order to redeem us, reconcile us, in order to justify us. Father, we are so grateful, so thankful. And as we partake of this meal even now, may, may we set aside all the other junk and stuff in our lives and in this world. What a crazy place we live in. May we just allow ourselves to focus on the glories of our Lord and Savior and all that he has accomplished and done on our behalf. Father, might we glory in that. Might we find our hope and our confidence, our joy and our peace in that this evening and every day forward. Father, bless this meal as we partake of it now and help us, Lord, as we sit and wait as the elements are passed out, just to take a moment to truly just reflect, meditate upon and ponder the glories of our great salvation that our great Lord brought to us through his death and resurrection. We pray now in Jesus' name.